The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, great. So I would like to speak now about the structure of the Pali Canon. Now let's take a look at this body of texts and consider the different pieces of it. But to start, I want to begin by reading a passage from a frequently studied sutta. And I would like to suggest that you listen to what I read in a certain way, just as a little experiment. Try listening with your whole heart and mind, as if it's something important for your well-being and worth remembering. Not in a tense way, but just being very present, as if the words are being spoken freshly in this very moment. This is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. Now, where does that come from? So some of you may recognize it as words that are near the beginning of the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the most detailed instructions we have on how to establish mindfulness. And how was it to listen to that freshly, really taking it in? So the Pali Canon is a treasure trove of wisdom teachings that come to us in a form like what I just read. And we'll talk a little bit more about the history and the transmission later. My aim right now is just to orient us to the the structure. You know, what is this body of teachings? So the Pali Canon is a collection of sacred literature that was originally composed as oral texts. And then over time, they were preserved in this way and then written down in Pali, which is an ancient Indian language. And the texts record teachings that are attributed to the Buddha and to some of his disciples. And they include spoken discourses or sermons, if you will, um, stories, poems, analyses, and also rules for monastic living. So there's a lot in there. And just so that we see it kind of all at once, I want to show a diagram of the um, Tipitaka. So let me get that up. Let's see. And Kim, you you just used the word Tipitaka, and I just thought... I did. Okay. Sorry about the coloring on there. Um, so the word tipitaka at the top here means three baskets. Um, and so this is a diagram showing the different the three baskets. And I just want to talk through it. And you don't need to memorize this. And you were sent it in advance. So this is just to orient because sometimes there's a lot of funny words on here. So I just want to point out what, what they are. So we have three baskets here at the top, and one is the vinya, which means the rules of monastic living. 
and it has these um, five books. It's not obvious that there are five there, but <laughs> there are. Um, the Sutta Pitaka, which is the um, collections of the discourses. And this is, I'll talk more in more detail about this in a moment, because this is where, likely where you've heard quotes from Dharma talks and other things coming in. And then we have the Abhidhamma Pitaka, which has seven books. And this, um, these are... Uh, added somewhat later, uh, but there are part of the Pali Canon. This is a kind of a detailed analysis of Buddhist psychology, if you will. We don't talk about it a lot here in the kind of Western tradition, but that doesn't mean it's not talked about a lot. It's actually quite foundational in, for example, the Burmese Theravada tradition. So still very much alive. Um, I want to focus in now on the Sutta Pitaka. Um, you'll see here that there are five main collections. And you may have heard some of these terms. Uh, the Diga Nikaya, that's one of them. Majima, Samyutta, Anguttara, and then this Kudika Nikaya. The word Nikaya, by the way, I think just means collection of the, the texts. Um, and the Kudika is a kind of a, a bunch of smaller texts, even though when you add them all up, they're bigger than any of the other ones. But in here, you may have heard of some of them also. Here's the Dhammapada, for example. Um, some of you have heard of the Sutta Nipata. There's a new, several new versions of it published recently. And the Teragata and the Terigata, the awakening poems of the monks and nuns. So, you know, some of these terms may be familiar. If none of them are, don't worry. Uh, that's why we're talking about it. But this is essentially uh, it. You know, these are the, the teachings that have come down. And we'll talk about, you know, how they were preserved and, you know, the degree to which uh, they may have changed over time or, you know, are there other versions of them and so forth. But let's just take a look at each of the, I'm going to stop sharing now at each of the main collections, because I want to talk through in the sutta part, that middle basket, what each of these collections of discourses likely is about. You know, why were they collected into these particular sets? Um, you know, what, what was put into each of these books? Why were they decided to be that way? So let's start, and I have them here just because I like showing them. So um, we'll start with the Diga Nikaya. This is considered the first text of the among the suttas. Um, and this is likely, Diga means long. And so the long discourses of the Buddha, this is published by Wisdom Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. No, it's actually Maurice Walsh's translation. Bodhi did most of the other ones. And long probably refers to the length of the discourses. They're pretty long. Some are short, but they're mostly quite long. And they tend to um, be related to uh, positioning the Buddha's teachings relative to other teachings happening at the time. You know, the Buddha didn't live in a vacuum. He was there amidst other spiritual teachers offering their version of how you should practice and their ideas about philosophy. And so the texts in the Diga Nikaya tend to be, um, uh, shall we say, um, defenses, philosophical defenses and uh, ideas about why the Buddha's teachings make more sense than some of these other ones. So... That's likely the purpose, is to position it relative to others. The second um, text in the Sutta Pitaka of the discourses is the Majjhima Nikaya. This is the Gubodi's translation from um, the book. 
the majima means middle length, middle. So there's probably middle length discourses. There are 152 suttas in here. They're of middling length. But the purpose, you know, why were they collected? Why those ones? It wasn't really just for the length. Um, likely, this is a manual for new monastics. So this collection includes the major areas of the Buddha Dharma, including karma, faith, the path, ethical conduct, effort, concentration, mindfulness, living the holy life, and awakening. The things that the major topics you would need to learn and study as a person who is already a devotee of the Buddha, whereas you know the, the long discourses were spoken more generally, maybe people weren't followers of the Buddha. So that's likely the purpose of the Majjhima Nikaya. And then the third among the Sutta Pitaka is this one, the Samyutta Nikaya. Samyutta means um, collection, or this is called the connected discourses of the Buddha. On Sutta Central, which we'll talk about later, it's called the linked discourses of the Buddha. So there are a number of different ways of translating the word Samyutta. And this um, seems, this is organized by topic. So it has a bunch of stuff about um, uh, dependent arising. It has a whole section on feeling tone. It has a whole section on the seven factors of awakening and the five faculties and the path and, you know, topics. It's organized by topic. And so this was considered to be a text that would be used by serious meditators, you know, maybe more advanced monastics who were aiming for awakening. And they just needed um, the sort of pith instructions about here's um, the uh, detailed analysis of what this topic is about. I should say also that there's usually less context given in this one. It's just, it's just the teachings. Whereas in the previous one, I talked about the Majjhima Nikaya for new monastics, very um, stories, you know, so it's very relatable and it's uh, very human about, you know, people and their interactions with the Buddha. And you could imagine um, people kind of orienting themselves toward the holy life through reading these uh, stories, which have a context to them. Okay, then the fourth of the major collections is the Anguttara Nikaya. Um, Anguttara means something like advancing by one. And these are also called the numerical discourses of the Buddha, um, the fourth major collection. And these are organized by number. So it has the chapter of the ones and it has teachings that feature one thing. And then it has the chapter of the twos and the chapter of the threes up to the chapter of the elevens. So it's pretty interesting that it would be organized that way. Uh, I guess, yeah, so Anguttara means what? incrementing by one or further factored. So these were probably, you know, um, maybe for teachers to you know, be able to give a Dharma talk uh, about, you know, it'd be easy to uh, grab one of these lists, but it also includes some of the less common teachings and it includes quite a large fraction of teachings for lay people in the Anguttara. So, um, if you're looking for one specifically about that, there's more of them, a greater fraction of them uh, in, that, in that text. So, um, and then there are the minor discourses. I won't have time to go through all of those, but you know, maybe you've heard of the Dhammapada. Um, this is uh, Gil Fronstall's translation. You know, as I'm holding this up, I'm remembering that 
Diana gave me this. So thank you, Diana, <laughs> a long time ago. Um, so there are many, many versions of the Tamapada, by the way, many, many, many. Um, that's something we might be looking at later. So, um, okay, so that's kind of a grand, really quick tour, let's say, of these, of these texts. And I wanted to say now that if you are um, just starting out, you know, what should one start with? Well, we may answer that question in many different ways throughout this class, but the Dhammapada is a good place to start. A lot of people begin with that one. And if you're going to have any of the big texts first, I would recommend the um, Majjhima It's uh, quite relatable, includes all the basic topics in story form. The teachings are clear. It also has many of the um, main instruction uh, texts about developing mindfulness and uh, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of breathing, and so forth. Okay. Um, so remember that at the beginning, I read a passage. You can at least remember that I read it, even if the exact passage has faded. But I want to just say a little bit more about that. Um, remember that, so does anybody know which uh, which discourse that comes from, the Satipatthana Sutta? Which one of those texts is that in? Number 10. Yeah. So somebody wrote Samyutta Nikaya. Fred, you're unmuted. Did you want to offer? Oh, uh, yeah, MN10. Yes, MN10. So that's correct. It's actually in the Majjhima Nikaya. It is the 10th Sutta. MN10 is Satipatthana Sutta. So remember, um, I'll read it again. This is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. So you see, this is, remember, from the Manual for New Monastics, you see that it provides a compelling motivation by referring to dukkha that we can all relate to. Who doesn't think about the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, the disappearance of pain and grief? This is how people come to practice. They have these, this sense of dukkha. And so it evokes that. And then it talks about, you know, here's the, here's the way to get out of that, <laughs> the four foundations of mindfulness. The rest of the text is then the basic instructions on developing mindfulness. So this is a very clear, um, and of course, it mentions Nibbana as the goal. So this is the point of what we're aiming toward. So we have, um, it also says at the end of the sutta that if you develop this, you will attain at least the second highest stage of awakening, if not full awakening. So we can understand that this would um, be appropriate for the text, the collection that it's in. It's really quite, um, it's for somebody who is already connected to the teachings of the Buddha and is ready to practice them. So um, I'll just end. My last thing will be to say that how we relate to these teachings is really up to us. You know, it's, um, we can find ways for them to resonate with our own path. And we'll be talking more about that both today and on the 31st. But it's really up to us to find our own relationship. And we can remember that these teachings were originally living, breathing teachings that were offered orally 
from person to person, transferred from heart to heart. And in my experience, the same flavor can come through in the written texts if we allow it to. So thank you. Now we have a chance for any questions or comments that have come up. So please feel free to raise your Zoom hand or I see Alex raising his physical hand. And maybe I'll let Ying run this session. Everyone hear me? Go ahead. Yes, uh, Alex, we can hear you. Okay. Um, I've kind of, I, I kind of, I'm kind of guessing that with, um, <clears throat> sorry, I get a little anxious when I talk in front of a lot of people, so I apologize. Um, but like the, the, the idea that like the way these uh, sutras are written, like they're written in a way um, that I guess maybe, was um, used as a form of memorization. So I wonder how the Buddha actually spoke, you know, as opposed to like what we hear or like read, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure it, it, it's a very formalized kind of like, I don't know, kind of just a thought that crossed my mind. Yeah. It's a, a great question. I know that we haven't heard it from some of the teachers at this point. I wonder if, um, Diana or David, who haven't spoken um, much, wanted to respond to this, how the Buddha spoke about this. Okay. Maybe I'll just say um, a a short bit here. And I'll say a little bit more in a moment. How can we know? Like, really, how can we know? We only know what's been preserved over these uh, thousands of years. So... This is something that scholars love to talk about and examine. Did the Buddha actually speak Pali or did he speak uh, like a particular dialect that then kind of morphed into Pali in the way these things are preserved? But I think this is a, an interesting question, Alex. And then maybe I'll just turn it around and say, um, how important is it for us personally as individuals to know precisely what the Buddha said? Thank you, Diane. And, you know, I would add to that another way to take your question, Alex, which I appreciate, and I appreciate uh, your courage in sharing it. I don't like talking in front of 77 people either, particularly. makes me a little nervous. Um, because another way to just take your question is, how, how did he speak in the sense of to, to what end? And I think this we you know, I think maybe we have a better sense of that, that he spoke in a way that was onward leading, that would help other people like ourselves thousands of years later um, come to share the insights that he experienced. So that way of understanding how, you know, we're a little, I think we feel on a little bit firmer uh, ground. And we'll explore that as we, as we continue. Thank you, David and Diana. And I see a hand up from Catherine. Hello. Yes, um, my question um, has to do with uh, the the questions uh, that we've already heard uh, in my group. Yeah, we shared the same uh, questions. I don't think it's uh, it's really surprising, <laughs> but um, it made me uh, think of a question about um, the same type of subject. I often wondered after having uh, attended many retreats and teachings and listening also to 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 Gill and other teachers I often wondered how how did how do you go from 
the text, the Pali text, to teaching, <laughs> to actually teaching. Uh, you know, how do how do teachers go from studying the text in its uh, in its original form to teaching a, a, a class or, or 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 actually expressing these uh, these texts? And I was wondering if 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 we would get an idea of that during the course. Yeah, great question. Um, this definitely relates to uh, one of our aims of the course, which is finding ways of relating to this text. How do we internalize this? I think one person also mentioned, um, you know, what uh, interpretations we may have. We all do that. And how this a text become uh, something lives in, in us and and maybe gets expressed uh, through how we are. Yeah, so we'll definitely talk more about that uh, in this course. If it's a great question, I think Kim used this um, uh, short text at the beginning of the Satipatthana. It's there's a short piece of a text. Maybe we can hear it, receive it in many different ways, in different settings. And so allow ourselves to open to maybe different ways to relate to even just this little piece of a text. Yeah. Great question. And I see. Maybe I'll just add that um, a lot of the expression of these teachings is a result of meditation practice. And so these are often expressions of what people have found on long retreat or through years of practice. So, uh, Nicholas. I'm curious about commentaries, because I think, like for me, for example, with the four foundations of mindfulness, there are some really incredible modern comments. Like Joseph Goldstein has a really incredible book. Biko Analio has a number of really incredible books that have really like deepened my relationship to that sutta in a way that would have been very challenging if I were just alone with MN10 staring at it, you know, day in and day out. And, uh, it's, you know, the curiosity for me is there's like this vast sea of commentaries of people who aren't alive now who've, you know, commented on, for example, this sutta over millennia. And that's a place where, you know, I mean, there's like intellectual fascination of what they said, but in terms of really like enriching practice, I think that's a place where I'm not really sure how to engage everything between things I can order on Amazon right now that everybody's reviewed and the original sutta. Yeah, yeah. I would say a commentary feels like another ocean, several few <laughs> oceans to swim in for sure. <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes I feel like a lot of uh, the modern teachers also really were making our own commentaries of um, the teachings as well through how we experience them, how we understand them. And uh, finding ways uh, to navigate um, and this uh, yet another big ocean. Um, maybe it's something that, you know, I, I, I like to register that interest. Maybe it's something that in the future we can explore more. Um, and I, I do understand uh, some people are really interested in this and some branches of um, Theravada schools really use this uh, to uh, in their own practice in some deep way. So um, uh, maybe I just take the liberty to receive this as an inquiry 
maybe sometime in the future we can explore that together. Um, so we have time maybe for the last uh, two questions. Um, and uh, we'll have more time later. So Austin um, is the next one. Hi. Um, I was just curious when I, I didn't get the, all the names down, but when you mentioned the, when the three baskets were mentioned, um, there was mention of like five books that are kind of almost like comparative uh, texts between Buddha, uh, Buddhist, Buddhism and other religions. And I'm just wondering, I, I, I was under the impression that overall, uh, the Buddha was kind of against most, or not against, but tried to avoid maybe many types of like metaphysical or epistemological speculation. So I, I'm, I'm, one, I'm curious now to learn how that fit into the, the overall text, because I, I haven't read about that. It's hmm, a great question. I wonder if um, any of you, um, Kim, the teachers, and Diana would like to say. Well, I think just I'll start by clarifying that you're probably you're referring, I think, to the Diga Nikaya, the first of the texts in the Sutta Pitaka, um, as the one that where I talked about it being a document that positions the Buddhist teachings relative to other ones. And there you will find it's consistent with what you said in that many much of what he does in that text, in my reading of it, is criticize other schools as being too philosophical, as not grounded in experience, as being lost in concepts. Um, so I think it's consistent with what you said, but I also want to defer to Diana, who's done quite a lot of study of this collection. I don't, I don't have anything more to add here, I would say. So maybe the last question uh, from Kevin. Thank you. Um, just a follow up to um, the earlier comment about, um, you know, going deep with the Satipatthana and commentaries and so forth. And something that I would really be curious to hear about from um, all of you who are so steeped in, in practicing this material or any one of you at some point is, you know, what about what I see with um, some of the uh, monastics that I've been exposed to? I'm thinking about um, uh, Analio and um, Ajahn Suchito, for example, where the encouragement and the modeling that I'm seeing is going incredibly deep with foundational texts like the Satipatthana Sutta, memorizing it. In their case, memorizing it in the original language, and in Analio's case, singing it to call it, calling it to mind. I mean, so that that and and doing that with really all of the key suttas that are useful for practice so that they're available in the mind stream. And, and I just would like to know, like, what does a lay person's version of that kind of practice look like? Thinking that all four of you must be expert and, and realizing that um, going deep with selected suttas seems to be what I'm drawn to at this moment. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Deep bows, Kevin. And we will definitely talk about how we work with this test that deepens our relationship with it and how we practice with it. Um, so. So why don't we take, if I can carry forward, Ying, a very brief break, three minutes, stretch, get a drink of water, don't go off and, and get too involved in other things. And we'll come back and we'll follow on this exact question that Kevin has ranged, uh, uh, raised by doing a little meditation that incorporates the language of these of the text from the canon.
So see you in a few. See you in three. <laughs>